Well, when you when you report fake news, no. When you report fake news, which CNN does a lot, you are the enemy of the people. President Donald Trump going after one of his favorite enemies, the White House press corps. He was hardly, though, the only president to bash the press. The tense relationship between presidents and the press goes back to our nation's founding. John Adams allowed the prosecution of dozens of journalists and political opponents. Abraham Lincoln allowed the Union military to shut down newspapers. Richard Nixon used government agencies to go after journalists. Barack Obama used the Espionage Act to go after people who gave information to journalists. And every president has tried to use the press amidst a tense relationship between reporters seeking information for the public and presidents seeking to push their message and shape their image. All of it is explored in the new book, Clash, Presidents and the Press in Times of Crisis. I'm delighted to welcome its author, associate professor at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University, John Marshall, to Frank Buckley interviews. Professor Marshall, welcome, and thanks for coming on the program. Oh, thank you, Frank, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to our conversation. As am I. Let me start with uh, President Trump because we started there with that video a moment ago. He was so adversarial with the press, unless, of course, you were with Fox News or one of the pro-Trump media organizations. You write that he torched the norms of presidential conduct when it came to the press. What do you mean by that? Uh, that's right, Frank. Uh, other presidents certainly were... Uh, grumbled about their press coverage, uh, sometimes lashed out at the press. Uh, Richard Nixon specifically made discrediting the press part of his, his strategy, uh, but Nixon sent other people out to do it. Uh, Nixon himself wouldn't uh, say much publicly about it, but he sent his vice president, Spiro Agnew, out uh, to make speeches. Uh, he used uh, you know, the FBI to, to go after people in the press. He used uh, the IRS uh, to go after journalists he liked, but most of what Nixon said about the press, uh, he said behind closed doors uh, to his aides. Uh, Trump took that strategy of using the press as you know, what Nixon called a useful enemy, uh, and Trump made it very public and really made it a core of his political identity. We heard him calling Jim Acosta from CNN an enemy of the people, and I happened to go to Berlin, uh, uh, I guess a couple of summers ago, and I went to the uh, a, an exhibition there that sort of tracked Nazism. And part of it was how the press was treated. And the phrase that jumped out at me from that exhibition was enemy of the people. Um, did that surprise you when you heard it uh, addressed to people in the news media? It, it certainly did. Uh, other presidents, again, you might might have been angry at the press, but they would speak about the importance of the press uh, in terms of the First Amendment and being crucial and essential to our democracy. Uh, Donald Trump never said anything about the press being essential to democracy, uh, but instead uh, used the terms, as you said, enemy of the people, which was not just used by the Nazis. It was a term that uh, uh, Stalin used in, in the Soviet Union. Uh, Chairman Mao in, in China used something similar. Uh, so dictators, uh, authoritarian rule, rulers, one of the first things they always do uh, is go after the press uh, and try to intimidate it and, and sometimes shut it down. I do think that there were some people in the public who 
felt a, a certain amount of satisfaction with the president going after the press. And I think sometimes we forget that the press is there trying to ask the questions that the members of the public don't get a chance to ask the president. Right. It, it, when the journalists are, are doing their job, they are asking the sort of things that are on, on the public's minds and addressing concerns that people have and having uh, making sure that people in power, like presidents, members of Congress or local leaders, uh, address the concerns of the public. Uh, but Trump and uh, so, you know, going back to Richard Nixon, uh, sort of casting the press as, as an enemy of the people, as a, as a big institution uh, that people should be concerned about uh, in the same way they might be concerned about other big institutions. Uh, so Trump, at least uh, with his base, was, was very effective um, at sort of turning the role of the press around, uh, calling it fake news, uh, and having a lot of the people who liked him uh, also dislike the press at the same time. What do you say to those people who say, you know what, it's okay to keep the press in check? Sometimes they do go too far, and that in this case, President Trump was doing, quote, us a favor by doing that sort of thing. What do you say to those people who say, you know what, the, sometimes the press goes too far? Well, I think it's important to keep uh, the to keep challenging the press, uh, and when reporters make a mistake, call them on it. Uh, if uh, publications aren't doing a good job of covering an issue, calling them on it. If, if you think they're biased, uh, call them on that as well. And I, I think that's a good part of the the, the give and take in a democracy. Uh, but that's that's very different than threatening reporters. Uh, that's very different from not allowing reporters uh, to cover government events, which is something the Trump administration uh, did several times. Uh, and it's very different than celebrating violence against uh, reporters, uh, which, which Trump did on, on a couple of occasions. Let's go back in history. And I, I mentioned John Adams, our second president. And I think we tend to romanticize the founding fathers and think about all the good that they created in helping to create this uh, great nation of ours. But you talk about the fact that John Adams had a, an antagonistic uh, relationship with the press. That's right, Frank. Uh, Adams, as is our, is our second president, uh, was the first to really get criticized vehemently uh, by the press, which was very partisan in those days. Uh, Adams's uh, political uh, opponents, uh, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, uh, others in the newly forming Democratic Republican Party, which was challenging Adams and the Federalists, uh, went after Adams uh, very strongly, uh, and Adams didn't like it. Uh, there's a, Jefferson actually describes a scene where Adams was so upset with, with how people were talking about him that he took off his powdered wig and began stomping at it uh, in, <laughs> in a bit of rage. Uh, but beyond that sort of own you know, personal uh, fit of anger, uh, the, the, his Federalist colleagues in Congress passed uh, legislation called the Sedition Act, uh, which basically made it illegal to talk or write anything uh, that was highly critical of the president uh, or, or the government. And under John Adams, uh, after the Sedition Act was passed in 1798, uh, more than 100 different people uh, were prosecuted uh, for saying things that were critical of the government. Hmm. It's the kind of thing that we see going on in Russia right now as it relates uh, to Ukraine. And, and, and let's fast forward then from John Adams to another person we tend to romanticize, 
Abraham Lincoln, he was president at a time of civil war. And as part of his effort, he shut down some new newspapers or at least, at least allowed the army to shut down the newspapers. And, and I wonder in a time of crisis, which is what you're writing about with, with these presidents, is there any moment at which a president is justified? And was Abraham Lincoln and the Union Army justified in shutting down newspapers? That's a great question, Frank. And I think it's easy for us uh, sitting here in 2022 to look back and say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Uh, but we also aren't living uh, ourselves in the, in, in the middle of, of, of a violent civil war, uh, which, which Abraham Lincoln uh, was trying to lead the Union through. So should he have done that? I'd like to say no, he shouldn't have done that. Uh, and uh, it, it set a precedent that, that uh, Woodrow Wilson followed um, and, and is you know, still out there as a precedent of, of shutting down the press. Uh, but it's also hard to blame him, uh, given the, the number of casualties uh, that were going on in the Civil War uh, and, and the high stakes of, of what was happening then. Uh, I would like to, I would like to have seen him maybe take a, a less of a hard hand on the press and, and not allow his military to, to shut actually shut down newspapers. Uh, but again, uh, more than 150 years later, it's, it's easy, easy for us to judge him now. You've also written, you mentioned Richard Nixon, another book, it's uh, Watergate's legacy and the press. And my thought was that the, the legacy of Watergate was that we had a much more robust investigative press. And I feel like that isn't necessarily the case as we sit here in 2022. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Watergate had a dual legacy uh, when it comes to journalism. As you said, it did lead to more investigative reporting, more watchdog reporting on government. And uh, it, it led to, uh, I think, greater scrutiny of, of some of you know, the abuses and, and corruption uh, that can go on in, in government and also, also other powerful institutions as well. Uh, big businesses, big nonprofits. Uh, so that's one of the legacies. Uh, but there also, I think, began to be a bit of a backlash uh, against all that investigative reporting. And I think some, sometimes there's a desire or instinct on the report of, on, on the part of some younger, especially younger reporters to try to be the next Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who, who got famous during Watergate and, and, and uncovered the next great big scandal. And as a result, I think some scandals that were really kind of molehills where, where sometimes they tried to make them into mountains. Uh, and I think the public got a little bit tired of, 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 the, of the constant uh, scandals that went on. Then I think another legacy from Watergate is I think presidents after Nixon got a lot smarter and savvier uh, in terms of how to deal with the press uh, because Nixon's dislike of the press was, was so obvious uh, and ended up working against him. And one president who was very effective in, in working uh, with the press, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, is, is President Ronald Reagan. But I want to just stay in a linear fashion here and go on to George W. Bush. He was a president at a time of war, and he effectively used the press uh, both post-9-11, uh, uh, during Afghanistan, and at least in the lead-up to war, for Iraq. What are your thoughts on how President George W. Bush and, and uh, dealt with the press? What was his relationship with the press? Uh, yeah, Bush's relationship with the press is really interesting because on a, on a personal level, 
uh, he was very friendly, uh, would, would crack lots of jokes and kind of horse around with, with, with the reporters. Um, he was good at making uh, fun at himself uh, and, and could take a joke. Uh, his, his staff was very good at sort of feeding the press, managing the press, making sure they had uh, lots of information or at least the information that the White House uh, wanted out there. Uh, at the same time, uh, Bush was so determined after 9-11 that uh, Saddam Hussein, the, the leader of Iraq, was, was behind the attacks uh, and that Hussein posed an ex existential threat to the United States. Uh, that his he President Bush and Vice President Cheney, others in the administration, used very uh, flimsy uh, intelligence information to try to justify uh, going to war against Iraq. In uh, the claims that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, uh, they took sh shreds of little shreds of evidence and tried to make it sound like uh, it was convincing uh, and. They actually did, you know, convince much of the public and, and much of the press that, that going to war against Iraq was necessary uh, because of the so-called weapons of mass destruction. But as, as we know now, they were never able to find any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and that there really wasn't any evidence that Saddam Hussein was behind the 9-11 attacks. Uh, so the Bush administration really, I think, over, much overstated the need in the case for war. And that had really, you know, literally deadly consequences for, for U.S. troops as well as people living in Iraq. President Obama certainly uh, experienced at least a honeymoon period of coverage from the Washington press corps. But at a certain point, uh, he went after those people who might leak information to reporters. And he was very aggressive about that. Um, some people would say, you know what, that's okay, because things that are supposed to be classified shouldn't be going to reporters. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, the government's default now is to classify and, and say every, pretty much everything is secret, especially when it comes to anything involving foreign policy. Uh, and it, there's a much larger magnitude of, of information uh, that is being kept from the public. Uh, but in a lot of these cases, uh, the information uh, that the reporters were reporting were about things about mismanagement within agencies uh, or contracts not being awarded to the to the best bet bidder, but to people with political connections and, and, and things like that. Uh, so these whistleblowers uh, were often sharing information that really was in the public's interest, uh, but that the government had just decreed should be kept secret because that's the way we do things. And if you start going after whistleblowers uh, and intimidating them and, and, you know, even arresting them and imprisoning them, uh, it makes it much more difficult for journalists and therefore the American public to know what their government is up to. Uh, and I think we need that in a democracy. Yeah. On that point, we are going to uh, take a short break. And when we get back, we'll return with the author of the new book, Clash, Presidents and the Press in Times of Crisis. John Marshall, when we come back. And welcome back to Frank Buckley Interviews. And we're back uh, to our conversation with the Medill School of Journalism professor, John Marshall. Uh, he's the author of the new book, Clash, Presidents and the Press in Times of Crisis. Uh, John, I want to ask you about a president uh, who seemed to have a relatively good uh, 
relationship with the press uh, in some ways. I, I, I'll let you describe it, though. I'm talking about Ronald Reagan. Um, and he was certainly stage-managed, was one of the first presidents to really understand the, the power of imagery as it relates to the press and, 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 and television. Um, how, how, what was his relationship with the press in the 80s? Reagan generally had a good uh, relationship with the press. Um, and as you mentioned, he had a staff that understood him well, knew his strengths, uh, and was terrific at putting him in situations where he would look good. Uh, so they would make sure that he would be you know, speaking with a beautiful mountains behind him or a very large American flag or in a factory shaking hands with the people uh, in the hard hats. Um, and so his staff knew him. Um, you probably had the best uh, chief of staff uh, in history, who was, who was James Baker. Uh, they learned from the mistakes of, of Nixon uh, and they presented uh, Reagan in a, in a very positive way. And then Reagan had the, the, the personal skills, the personality to get along well with reporters. Uh, and there's stories of reporters, uh, particularly when he was first running for office, saying, oh, we're going to go out and do a tough story on this, you know, this actor who thinks he can be uh, governor of California and then actor who thinks he can be president of the United States and we're going to go investigate him. And the reporters would get there and they would spend time with Reagan and they'd be like, it's it's really hard to be tough on this guy because he's always just so pleasant. Uh, he always has a joke uh, and he's always friendly. Uh, so Reagan was very effective at sort of softening the, the, you know, the harder edges that can often occur in the relationship between presidents and journalists. I also think that goes back to a, an earlier era with, with John Kennedy and he had that sort of similar friendly banter with the White House press corps. And then fast forward beyond Reagan, and I remember being on a campaign bus with John McCain, a similar thing where he gave complete access to everyone. He would talk about anything. And, and I do wonder, does that help these presidential candidates and then presidents? Or at the end of the day, are those of us in the press eventually going to go after them, as it were? Well, I think it actually helps tremendously. Uh, and the examples you gave, you know, Reagan and McCain, John F. Kennedy, I would, I would add Franklin Roosevelt to that, mm. you know, even you know, Teddy Roosevelt, if we want to go back far enough. These are people, they, they were all presidents with uh, really kind of a, I think, a, just a strong sense of self-confidence in themselves uh, and could be relaxed around reporters. Uh, they were people who really kind of knew who they, who they were as people. They weren't insecure like 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 Nixon was uh, and some of our other presidents. Uh, so they're able to kind of project confidence, uh, project uh, being relaxed, and, and they didn't feel threatened uh, so much when when reporters would talk with them. And I think the, re the presidents who enjoy that kind of personal rapport uh, with reporters who can joke around with them uh, are the presidents who usually end up being remembered the best uh, by history, because as, as they say, journalists write, the first rough draft of history. And sometimes that rough draft of history becomes fairly similar to what the uh, historians eventually say. Mm. Uh, so Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Ronald Reagan, JFK, uh, generally when historians rank the top presidents, uh, you know, Lincoln is, is definitely in that boat as well, uh, they're towards the top. And they, they were all presidents who could really 
uh, talk in a relaxed, friendly way uh, with individual journalists. One of the people who comes up uh, in your book uh, a number of times who isn't a president uh, is the late Roger Ailes, who ran Fox News. And I wonder, he did have a background in, in running presidential campaigns and being part of a presidency, but he then goes on to the media side, on the conservative side. What effect did he have in terms of relationships between the press and the White House? Well, Roger Ailes is, is another really interesting person. Uh, he had been, as you may know, he'd been a, a, a assistant TV producer for a popular talk show in the 60s, The Mike Douglas Show. Uh, and Rich, Richard Nixon, when he was running in 1968 for president, went on the show. Uh, and afterwards, Ailes came up to him and said, you know what, you can do a lot better on TV than you're doing. Hmm. And Ailes started giving him advice. Uh, and Nixon said, let's let's hire this guy. Uh, so so Ailes became a consultant uh, for Nixon and helped him start to craft his, his TV strategy. Uh, after that, Ailes went on to uh, advise other uh, Republican uh, politicians. He um, advised Ronald Reagan uh, when Reagan uh, was doing his presidential debates. Uh, when he was running for office, he uh, advised George H.W. Bush, the, the first President Bush. Uh, and then Ailes was uh, working for MSNBC before MSNBC uh, was known as a, as, as a liberal uh, news outlet. Uh, and there, there was an opening at the top of the MSNBC. Ailes thought he was going to get that job. He didn't. He was very angry about it. Uh, he, he stormed out of MSNBC and said, I'm starting my own news network. Uh, and he worked uh, with Rupert Murdoch, who already owned a bunch of newspapers. Uh, and they launched uh, Fox News uh, specifically with, with the goal of, of being a conservative voice on television uh, and really to, to, to imitate uh, to some degree uh, what was already going on in, in, in talk radio with people like Rush Limbaugh, who were being very successful at attracting large audiences uh, by being openly partisan with their politics. Uh, and Ailes and, and Rupert Murdoch decided they could do the same thing with Fox. And, and conservatives would say, look, we finally had a voice uh, at the table. And liberals and maybe people who are not liberals, but people who feel that the media should not take a point of view, felt like there was a danger in Fox News and there's an ongoing danger in Fox News. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's been a real uh, shift uh, in the way that news media uh, is presented in many cases and, and is consumed uh, since uh, the rise of, of uh, talk radio starting in the late 1980s into the 1990s and then uh, Fox News and then MSNBC and CBS, I think, excuse me, MSNBC and uh, CNN uh, both decided they needed to be more openly partisan in order to, kind of, to attract the kind of audiences uh, that Fox was was attracting. Uh, and I think there's a danger uh, in that uh, if people are only consuming a news media that fits their pre-existing uh, beliefs. Uh, and I know that you know, Ailes and others made the argument that the news media had been completely dominated by liberals before that, but I don't think that really holds up uh, to the evidence. Uh, when Richard Nixon ran for re-election in 1972, uh, he was endorsed by over 70 percent of newspapers. Uh, only 5% endorsed his opponent, uh, George McGovern. Uh, and 
that might have been one of the biggest uh, gaps in terms of endorsements. But for many decades, a, a large majority of newspapers uh, were endorsing Republican presidential candidates uh, rather than the Democrats. Uh, and certainly Time magazine, which was the leading news magazine at the time, tended to lean uh, conservative, as did Reader's Digest, which was the most read magazine uh, in the country. Uh, out, out where you are uh, in Los Angeles, the LA Times uh, through the 1960s uh, tended to be more Republican. That's, uh, I don't think that's any, any longer the case. Uh, but th at the time that, that Ailes and, uh, was and others were complaining about how liberal the news media was, uh, where I am in, in the Chicago area, the Chicago Tribune was, was traditionally a Republican newspaper, mm -hmm. Wall Street Journal, traditionally a Republican newspaper. There was plenty of, example of examples of conservative news media uh, before Fox News. Uh, and and I, I think the complaints that the, the news media was completely in the hands of liberals really doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Let's talk about the current president, Joe Biden. Um, here's an analog guy, if you will, in a digital world. Um, and I just wonder, how is, what, what's your sense of how he's being treated? Is he being treated fairly? Are people uh, treating him with kid gloves? Are they being too tough on him? What are your thoughts? I think they're treating him in generally the way the press should treat presidents. Uh, they are challenging him on, on things like the Afghanistan pullout, uh, plenty of coverage and criticism of how that was handled, uh, coverage of concerns about, you know, about rising inflation, uh, certainly uh, criticism of how he's, he's handled the COVID crisis. Uh, and, and that's what uh, you know, reporters should uh, raise the tough questions uh, and, 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 and challenge presidents. I think we're also seeing at the same time a phenomenon that really happens uh, with every presidency, which is there's a lot of focus on the horse race, mm. on who's up, who's down on a particular day, uh, rather than looking to the substance of policies, look at uh, who's backing it, who's not backing it. Uh, what are its, its chances of, of, of passing? What, uh, how's it going to affect the midterms? And I think we saw that with the Build Back Better plan, where um, I learned as, as, as a reader a lot more about uh, how it might be affecting Biden's poll ratings and, and how it might be affecting individual members of Congress than I did about what was actually in the plan and whether it was good or bad and how it might affect certain people. Uh, so I think we're seeing that now. I think we've seen that with other presidents. Yeah. All right, one more break, uh, Professor, uh, and, and when we get back, we'll, we'll continue our conversation uh, with the Professor of Journalism from Medill, uh, John Marshall. And welcome back to Frank Buckley Interviews. Let's return to our conversation with journalist and Professor John Marshall. John, when it comes to the presidency, and the press, what can the average person do to make themselves a more sophisticated news consumer? Help us to look at the White House press corps as it reports on the president in the way that maybe you look at that situation. Well, that's a great question, Frank. I would suggest uh, for people to try to follow people uh, in journalism, uh, news outlets that they don't normally follow or watch uh, just to get a, a taste and a sense of what uh, different perspectives uh, are buying or are saying. Uh, and then uh, when they look at look at articles uh, and look at columns, 
really try to make sure that the facts and evidence uh, are being provided. If it's just a lot of adjectives, uh, a lot of scary words, a lot of you won't believe this, uh, saying this is the worst thing ever or the best thing ever. Uh, I, to me, that would be a red flag that someone's more interested in trying to stir you up uh, than really trying to present uh, information that that's solid. And if someone's saying something that sort of sounds too good to be true for you, given your own political perspective, uh, there's probably a good chance that it is too good to be true uh, and, and may not be based on something mm -hmm. solid. Uh, and then uh, I would also encourage people to support their local news outlets. There is plenty of coverage of Washington. What we really need support for uh, are the people who are covering local communities uh, and, and what their governments and leaders are doing. We only have a minute, a minute left, but I want to ask you post uh, the Iraq war and the lead up to the Iraq war and what really was a presentation of evidence that wasn't accurate. Are we more sophisticated now as both journalists and as an audience, could that happen again? I think it could. Unfortunately, uh, I think uh, governments are very good uh, at, at, at propaganda. Uh, and uh, are, if, if they really want to manipulate the public uh, for something, they can. Mm. Uh, hopefully, we've learned some lessons from Iraq. Uh, I think journalists certainly did. Um, and I think they are maybe more uh, willing now to, ch to challenge a, a case for going to war uh, than they were uh, right after 9-11. Uh, but I think uh, we as, as the public, as consumers of media, really need to be uh, aware uh, of when uh, governments and leaders might be trying to use uh, propaganda and, yeah. and lead us in a direction that might not be good for us. All right. Well, Professor John Marshall, thank you very much for your time. Frank, thank you very much for having me on the show. Of course. Once again, the book is Clash, Presidents, and the Press in Times of Crisis. And you can always see our conversations on KTLA on the weekends and then after they air on KTLA on YouTube and on the KTLA Plus app. We always go a bit deeper here on the audio podcast with questions that we pose to our guests after we go off the air on TV. Thanks for watching, for listening, and for commenting on the shows and podcasts on social media. Tag me at Frank Buckley TV on Twitter and on Instagram, or post your comments on my Facebook page. I read every single comment. Thanks for listening this week, and until next time, I'll see you on TV.